Coming up on this week's show, we talk to Coastal Magic featured author Katie Hawthorne. This is the Big Gay Fiction Podcast, the show for avid readers and passionate fans of gay romance fiction. Each week, we bring you exclusive author interviews, book recommendations, and explore the latest in gay pop culture. Welcome to episode 208 of the Big Gay Fiction Podcast. I'm Will from willknows.com, and with me, as always, is my co-host and husband, Mr. Jeff Adams. Hi, everybody. This episode of the show is brought to you in part by a remarkable community on Patreon. We'll have more information on how you can join them at the end of the show, along with a sneak peek of what we have coming up for you next week. Welcome back, everyone. We hope you had a fantastic week full of relaxation and maybe a little bit of reading. Hopefully more than a little bit of reading. (laughs) You should go for the maximum amount of reading. (laughs) Crank it up to 11. (laughs) <laughs> uh, you have definitely uh, maxed out on your reading this week. Uh, we've got a lot of books to talk about. But first, some news. Uh, something incredibly unique and special and, um, frankly, surprising and weird happened to us this past week. Um, we woke up on Friday morning to congratulations. Uh, some lovely people were sending us um, lovely messages of support on the interwebs. And Jeff, uh, (laughs) after I came back from my morning walk, uh, made a very odd squeaky sound. (laughs) And I could not tell if he was excited or uh, if he was freaking out because there was a spider in his office. It's Uh, true. It could have been either way, actually. (laughs) (laughs) So I reluctantly said, what is it? Uh, and I came into his office, and he showed me that the Big Gay Fiction podcast had been featured in a listicle, specifically in Oprah Magazine. Uh, this listicle uh, listed us as one of the 21 best book podcasts to listen to when you're not reading. So color us surprised. I think that <laughs> surprised is an understatement. I mean... Who would have thought we were on the radar to be featured in Oprah's magazine alongside, well, friend of the podcast, Sarah Wendell is one of the people who, who put it in front of us first from Smart Podcast Trashy Books. That podcast is on the list. There's podcasts from The New Yorker. There's podcasts about games of Game of Thrones and Harry Potter. And, and here we are, our little production that we do, you know, in my office um, every week. And wow, Oprah. yeah i know i i don't i'm still not even sure how to wrap my head around that i think it is genuinely one of the weirdest things that has ever happened to me yeah it's 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 something i would have never ever expected ever but thank you oprah (laughs) to to whoever at uh oprah magazine who made the selection uh we thank you uh we are in some really lovely company and we're very honored to be part of that list so in celebration we are going to pour some champagne and have a little toast here is to us and to many more unexpected pleasures in our podcasting adventures (laughs) it was an amazing amazing week with that. That was a perfect topper, I think, to a week, for sure. Looking at some other news going on, um, 
Today, Monday, September 30th, as this podcast comes out, is International Podcast Day. It's one of those days, you know, that are that's essentially manufactured, but it is a day to... Well, it is. What do you mean? <laughs> International Podcasting Day is real. <laughs> I don't think there's a Hallmark card for it, but it is a day to celebrate podcasting and all the wonderful things that we get to listen to uh, in the podcast universe. Certainly podcasting, not only do we partake of creating content, but we also listen to a lot of content. And I dare say that our 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 lives are better because of the podcast that we listen to and the amount of information that we're able to get. So take a moment perhaps today and uh, thank your favorite podcasters out there for creating the content that they do and listen to a podcast or two as well, because hopefully you're listening to us maybe on the 30th as well. I think there should be an animated television special for International Podcasting Day. We should go wait in the podcasting patch for the great podcaster. <laughs> oh my goodness. See, I was going to go like into some of the weirder things. Like you could actually have like like an uh, uh, like the iPhone could be the character who's running around trying to get people to listen to podcasts or something. Although where you went with it was much more interesting. <laughs> Speaking of podcasts and friends of the podcast, I do want to shout out to the Queer Creative Podcast, which was returning for its second season, starting Wednesday, October 2nd. I love the interviews that Jonah and Renessa did in the first season, and I'm really looking forward to what's ahead in this new season. So make sure to check them out at thequeercreative.com. This Prosecco is really good. It has notes of lemon and crisp apple. There I, is I, apple in that. That's I, what that is. I say reading the back of the bottle. <laughs> He's paying a lot of attention to me and what I'm saying and reading the back of the Prosecco bottle. Exactly. Also want to give a happy pride to everyone celebrating Druid City Pride in Tuscaloosa, Alabama this week. Uh, and why, you may ask, am I celebrating this? Well, Tuscaloosa is where I spent uh, my teen years and college years. We were there from 1978 through the middle 90s, and uh, there was no pride celebration in those years. And of course, Alabama is still a very deeply red state, although it does have some shades of purple in it these days. And I was very excited to, the, earlier this year, not only join as a founding member of the University of Alabama's LGBTQ Alumni Association, but to also find out that there has been a pride celebration in Tuscaloosa for the past several years. So the Big Gay Fiction Podcast is happy to be a uh, Friend of Pride sponsor for this week's celebration. So we wish happy Pride to everybody in Tuscaloosa celebrating Druid City Pride this week. Hi, I'm Jay from the LGBTQ romance review blog, Joyfully Jay. At Joyfully Jay, we review tons of LGBTQ romance, as well as romantic fiction and nonfiction. We review ebooks, audiobooks, and even the occasional movie. We typically review about 18 books a week, so Joyfully Jay is a great place to hear about new releases, catch up on books you may have missed, and find some new favorites. In addition to our reviews, each weekday we host an author as our first post of the day. This gives readers a chance to learn more about new releases, get exclusive excerpts, find out about the author, and participate in great giveaways. Each author post on Joyfully Jay is exclusive, so you get access to book and author information you can't find other places. At Joyfully Jay, we love LGBTQ romance and are excited to share it with you. 
stop by the blog at joyfullyj.com. You can also visit us on our Facebook group, The Joyful Jays. We'd love to have you join us. So in honor of International Podcasting Day and uh, truly the experts that we are after 200 episodes, we are going to attempt our book review section again because we just went through half of the show and realized that we did not press the record button. Yeah. So we are the- professionals. <laughs> for the second time, Jeff, tell us about the books you've read this week. Indeed. I uh, I kicked off the fall with some really good reads, and this first one is perfect for this week because hockey season is upon us with the regular season kicking off on Wednesday, October 2nd. So it's the perfect time to read some hockey romance. And boy, did I find a great one with Goalie Interference by Avon Gale and Piper Vaughn. This is the second book in their Hat Trick series. I reviewed Off the Ice, which is a scorcher about an NHL player who's taking college classes and falls for his professor. I talked about that back at episode 138. And that one played on some awesome tropes with that. And this time out, Avon and Piper have cooked up another hot romance with this enemies to friends to lovers story about two goalies in competition for their team's starting position. Position. (laughs) Yes, professionals. We said that, right? (laughs) Ryu Mori thought he had the starting goalie position for the Atlanta Venom locked up. He'd had a stellar season after the Venom's regular goalie got injured, and for the upcoming season, he expected to own the spot since the other goalie wasn't coming back. Teams always have to have at least two goalies, so there's always a backup in case someone gets hurt. And management calls up Emmett Washington from their AHL affiliate. Now, Emmett also had an excellent season, including setting a new shutout record for the AHL. The Venom want the very best in net, and that means that Ryu and Emmett are in competition suddenly. It's a competition that goes well into the regular season as they end up alternating in net between games. Now, Ryu already didn't like Emmett for his Instagram account, where he shows off his body. And then when the new guy arrives with a certain swagger, well, it doesn't go over well. And then when Ryu finds out they're going to share the goalie duties, to say that he's furious is an understatement. Now, this is one of the very best enemies to lovers story I've read. The anger that radiates from Ryu is in direct conflict with the cocky, overall nice guy that Emmett is. It makes for fantastic banter between the two as Ryu battles to keep his fury somewhat in check while Emmett just wants to play hockey and get along with everybody. After all, a team comes first, and while Ryu gets that, he still has to do everything he can to get the job. And as the season continues, these guys can't deny their physical attraction to each other amidst the competition. Fireworks ensue as they get into I hate you, let's go fuck vibe. It's truly just awesomeness right here. Now, this no strings attached thing doesn't stay that way for long, though. As they get more intimate, it leads to talking and getting to know each other and, well, you know, feelings. They have feelings, and they weren't looking for those feelings at all. It just gets in the way. Now, I love how Avon and Piper infuse so much passion between the guys, for the game, for their team, and ultimately for each other. The journey these guys have personally and professionally are equal parts awesome, and I love how they built the dual storylines and how they play off each other. It's truly mixing professional and personal, and there's so much messiness that can come along with that. After all, these guys don't get a lot of time apart from each other with the travel and the practices and the games and everything. And the timeline was great for this story because it spans the season from just before it starts 
to getting into the playoffs. And that left a lot of time for incredible highs and some really painful lows, too. Now, apart from the romance, are terrific stories with Ryu and Emmett's parents. Ryu's Japanese-American, and nothing his parents want nothing but perfection from their son. And he works so incredibly hard to give them that, and it weighs on him a lot emotionally to try and live up to that. And it's a problem for the parents that he doesn't right off get that starting position. Meanwhile, Emmett's mom, while she's always supported him 100%, his football dad coach doesn't understand why Emmett doesn't just play football. Emmett got his name, after all, from a famous football player. So it doesn't work for dad. These stories add a rich dimension to Ryu and Emmett and make the book far more than just two guys falling in love. Now, getting Ryu and Emmett to their happily ever after is romance gold. I got to the point I couldn't put the book down because I had to know how their season would end and how they'd make the relationship work. Avon and Piper did an outstanding job of tying it all together with a big shiny bow. Now, if I've got any disappointment in this, it's that I didn't wait for the audiobook with Kurt Graves narrating. He did a terrific job with Off the Ice, and I've heard a sneak preview of his work with Goalie Interference, and it is so, so good. I'm not going to be surprised if I end up picking up that audiobook to revisit this wonderful romance. So yes, I very much recommend starting off your hockey season with Goalie Interference by Avon Gale and Piper Vaughn. Well, yay, sports romance for the win. Uh, Here's a quick little sneak peek. We're actually going to have the authors Avon and Piper uh, on next week's show. Uh, well, they'll talk about goalie interference and, like, uh, apparently a whole lot of hockey. <laughs> yes, there will be a little bit of hockey going on in there. Uh, they both have tremendous origin stories about how they came to hockey and liking it. So, yeah, tune in for that next week. Now, we're going to shift gears from sports and hockey romance to rock star romance. Because, you know, why not? So, I ended up and picked up Face the Music by K.M. Newhold because I found it lurking in our Audible library which probably means I've stolen yet another book out from under Will. (laughs) Well, let's face it. You snooze, you lose around this household. That's true. You (laughs) leave something in there that looks good. I know. It's just, yeah. I I need to be faster on the draw. Or faster on the play button, I guess. Yeah, faster on the play button. (laughs) So this Rockstar cover drew me in, and I ended up hooked reading the blurb detailing the second chance romance between a rock star and a doctor who'd been madly in love as teenagers before the musician ran off to become a star. And of course, it's really not all that simple at all. Lincoln and Jace met as kids because the cabins they spent their summers in were right next door to each other. They did everything together in those three summer months, and they kept coming back year after year. Now, as teenagers, they discovered there was more than friendship between them. And it was also in those years that Link discovered a a, a passion for music and songwriting. Just as they were preparing to move in together after high school graduation, Link left Jace without a goodbye and went off to pursue his dream. Jace never heard from him and never forgave him. Now, 10 years later, Link is a mess. He's got a history of cutting and suicide attempts, and he's decided to put his band on hold, get out of New York City, and try to refind himself over Christmas at his family's cabin. Across the country in Seattle, Jace has just been dumped by his girlfriend, and he decides that his, the family cabin would also be the perfect holiday getaway. Now, after all this time, these two are going to have to deal with their pasts. I love how KM structured this story. Using the concepts of tracks and song titles and album sides, 
side A represents the present, and then side B lets us go back and see Link and Jace come together for the first time. Now, despite the fact that he left Jace, Link has never gotten over his first and only love. Once he finds that the love of his life is right next door, he wants to make things right. Jace, of course, is unsure because of how he got his heart smashed. As they attempt to find common ground, recreate some moments from their childhood, and even do things they'd always talked about but never got a chance to, we get some super sweet moments, especially around celebrating Christmas. There's also a bit of, of great forced proximity in here, too. Uh, Jace's heater goes out, there's a blizzard coming in, and they end up you know, having to spend some time snowed in together in the cabin. Which, of course, is Will's favorite thing ever. Uh, the whole book is not that, but there's a good couple of scenes and chapters in there where they are stuck together. Now, eventually, the paparazzi figures out that Lincoln is at the cabin, and so they have to get away. So this time, it's off to Jason's place in Seattle. And while they're here, it gives them some time to see what life could be like if they were together. Now, KM doesn't pull any punches in the serious discussions that they need to have. Jace knows about Link's cutting, and that, along with that attempted suicide uh, that he had, Jace is not willing to take Link back if he's not going to seek help. As much as Jace loves Link, he can't put himself in the position to constantly worry if he's going to come home to an emergency because Link isn't getting treatment. Link also knows that he really has to do something. He, he knows that darkness will come back for him, even though he's with Jace, who is a calming force. Now, as deep as some of the discussions go, both around Link's mental health and their difficult past in general, the story never became too much for me to read. And I know it's the case that these may be triggers for some people, and the book does carry appropriate warnings about that. So, you know, take care of yourself if these issues could be triggering for you. Now, it's clear how much these two love each other because of the fact they continue to have these kinds of talks. And even when these discussions get heated at times or they may not reach a resolution that they want in the moment, they don't let these topics sit for very long. We don't fall into the trap that we could see in books where people storm away rather than resolving the talk that they need to have. So I really appreciated that they kept coming back to these topics to find their way through them to get to the happy after, happily ever after that we expect. This book had everything that I like in a second chance romance. Now, Face the Music is book one in the replay series, and I've got the others in my TBR. Those other stories look at what Link's bandmates were up to while he was reconciling with Jace, and I expect those stories are going to be equally as good. So, A Forced Proximity Holiday Rockstar Romance. That sounds just too delicious to be true. <laughs> it was really good. I really enjoyed it. I can't wait to check out those other installments, too. Cool. Okay, for the last book that we're going to talk about, it's something that Jeff and I both read this past week. Um, this month, we followed along with our friends Jess and Marky at the Top to Bottom podcast because their bottom pick for September was Lucy Lennox's King Me. And, of course, we love the wild books, so it was the perfect time for us to finally pick up this book and read it along with them. And it's no surprise, we loved it. And I guess we could just stop there, but we won't. Um, <laughs> because we are professionals here at the Big Gay Fiction Podcast. So King Me picks up right where Wild Love left off. Someone is barged into Doc and Grandpa's wedding weekend to take Kingston Wild away. His family has no idea that King is a world-renowned art thief, 
a career he's been working to end after getting burned by his boyfriend at Partner in Crime. It's Dirk Falcon who's come for King. Falcon's an agent who let the most notorious art thief get away, who just happens to be King, and now he needs King's help to recover a priceless artifact and avert an international incident. Now, as you can imagine, these guys don't trust each other at all. But off they go around the world with stops in Greece and Hungary. All the great moments of a heist book are here, planning the ops, planning the distractions, dealing with what goes wrong, because of course things must, must, must go wrong at least once. It's all brilliantly woven together with some incredible plot twists sprinkled in along the way to keep you guessing, just like you want to be in a book like this. Now, as usual, Lucy creates great characters, and King is unlike any of the wilds we've met so far. Yes, he's got his artistic side, which kind of lines him up with Felix, but King's a thief, and that doesn't at all fit the wild profile. He's had an interesting path to the point where we meet him in this book, He's working to get out of the life, but the baggage and history crops up at every turn. In the same way that I wanted a Doc and Grandpa book, I would love to see King's past and how he got involved with his original boyfriend, that guy who ultimately became his crime mentor. And then there's Falcon. He, he doesn't know if he can trust King, and yet he has to. It only gets worse for him when he realizes he's falling for King because Falcon's got to deal with the rest of his team and his bosses and a ton of other stuff going on with the mission that I really can't tell you about because it would be spoilerly, and I'm not going to do that. Lucy does a great job with the heist. It's very cinematic read as King and Falcon and the team figure out their plan and work to pull it off and going through all of the crazy to get this missing artifact back where it belongs. Lucy doesn't make it easy for these guys right down to the very end, and she kept me guessing exactly how long, how it was all going to turn out. I really love how Lucy explores different subgenres and tropes with these wild books, too. We've had a bit of romantic suspense before with his saint, which really used the bodyguard trope beautifully. And now we've got this heist book, and I would love to see more in this vein from her. Um, yeah, I really enjoyed this one an awful lot, uh, which surprises nobody. But um, what was really lovely is um, I thought the, the way Lucy played with the trust issues, um, something that's usually, uh, you know, inherently baked into romantic suspense because there's, you know, action and subterfuge and all that sort of stuff that comes with this particular subgenre. Um, I really enjoyed how our two heroes uh, played off one another and uh, constantly kept each other guessing, uh, constantly turning each other on by the slightest little thing. It was all very uh, wonderful and amusing and sexy uh, and a lot of fun. Uh, Jeff briefly mentioned um, Falcon's uh, team that he assembles in order to you know, undertake this op with King. Uh, they're really interesting, uh, fun well-drawn characters uh they're not just you know paper dolls that you know move around the suspense plot they're they're an integral part of the story uh and they really sort of uh, set up uh and help <laughs> our two heroes uh face the romance that's blooming between the two of them uh inconveniently while they're you know sneaking into houses and trying to uh um, steal art 
steal art or and, steal art back and, and disable security systems and all sorts of crazy high tech stuff. So, yeah, I really, really enjoyed this one an awful lot. Yeah, I'll, I'll say, too, on the team, I I really liked the they very much had distinct individual personalities. And I, I can't remember the kid's name, but the one who was the nerdy kind of computer operator guy. He had so many little ticks and issues. I not only did I just want to wrap him up in a hug occasionally, but I also really want to see his book. <laughs> I don't know how Lucy pulls that off, since he's not a wild and he doesn't really connect to any of the other wilds. Uh, but if you can maybe make a series here, Lucy, on its own, a spinoff, I would totally be into that. Uh, and I also say it, I liked how she integrated the other wilds into this story, because you wouldn't necessarily think that you could do that with the type of story that this is. But in true Lucy form, even once King and, and, and Falcon get off out of Texas, the other wilds work their way back into the story. And it's just awesome. <laughs> yeah. We both really enjoyed Lucy Lennox's King Me. We highly recommend it. And if you haven't heard it yet, we hope you check out the September 2019 episode of Top to Bottom to find out what Marky and Jess thought of this story as well. Absolutely. And of course... If you want any of the things we've talked about in this episode, all you have to do is go to the show notes page where you'll find links to all of it. And that's uh, for episode 208 at BigGayFictionPodcast.com. Did you know that podcasts love to get reviews too? Taking a moment to leave a review about the Big Gay Fiction Podcast helps us with the show's visibility online please take a moment to visit iTunes and leave a review. Your comments help other readers of gay romance discover this show. Thanks for helping us spread the word about the Big Gay Fiction Podcast. So this week we have the first in a series of interviews that we'll be doing between now and February with Coastal Magic featured authors. First up is Katie Hawthorne. Now Katie is new to me and I had a great time with this interview as we talked comic books, superheroes, witches, more rock stars, <laughs> and so much more. So let's hear from Katie. Katie, welcome to the podcast. It is so great to have you here. Thank you very much. It is great to be here. You're having kind of a re-release palooza, yeah, for lack of a yeah. better word. <laughs> no, that's a that's a really good word. Actually, I might I might borrow that. Um, yeah. So I had to re-release all my books last year, but then I re-released them with Lesson Three, who recently, sadly stop publishing. Um, but they did it the right way and they gave us, you know, everything and I got to keep my covers, which was crazy because I've not had that happen before. So I did end up getting actually the last of the books just went live. So everything is finally back up. So that is really, really great. I'm super excited that all my stuff is back. Congratulations. <laughs> and your covers, like Superpowered Love, those covers are gorgeous. Yeah, I'm really, really lucky. So it's all Natasha Snow who I was already working with for all my other covers. So she's going to continue with the series for me now that I'm doing it on my own, which is really, really cool. Oh, fantastic. Yeah. And tell us about Superpowered Love for those who don't know about it, because there's eight books out there waiting for people to go pick up if they haven't so far. Yes, that is true. There are eight and they are all there now. So those books are about, there's people called The Awakened and they have superpowers, but they're technically sort of just under the surface of what we would think of as our normal society so it's very kind of urban fantasy you know it's right there but it's kind of just one one level underneath the street maybe from what we would see so they can either have thermal powers or they can have electrical powers 
and that's basically it. So they're either hot, cold, or basically they make lightning. So it's stories about them. What inspired these books and this series? <laughs> no, I'm like a huge comic book nerd, actually. I was like raised on my dad's old Spider-Man comics from the 70s, which are incredibly cheesy and wonderful. So I kind of grew up with that and with the 90s X-Men cartoon, which was like the thing. I never stopped reading comic books and I still haven't. I'm almost 40 and I think they're just one of the best art forms that we have ever invented. There's always this... This idea that, that comes out of, I think it mostly comes out of fan fiction that is called Between the Lines. And that's the stuff that they leave out of the comic books. You know, it's not the big hero fight or the big, you know, like showdown with Apocalypse or whatever. It's the stuff that happens when the superheroes are at home mm-hmm. with the people that they consider family. And uh, superheroes are very much about found family too. And especially you see that a lot with X-Men because it's obviously a big, huge simile for civil rights mm-hmm. and um, and queer rights, for that matter. So I feel like it's kind of that between-the-line stuff is what I always really wanted to write about people with superpowers. So that's what that whole series is. What went into your world-building for that, since it's kind of just on the edge of urban fantasy? Obviously, you had to create your, your superpowers and the rules that they operate by. What else got wrapped into that? So I... <laughs> When I first started writing it, I have a really good friend who um, is a neurologist. She's a neuroscientist, actually, not a neurologist. And she sat down with me and we figured out what would have to physically be different about human beings for them to manifest these particular powers. What kind of electro-generative organs they would need, like that kind of stuff. So we worked all that out. We worked out kind of the physics of, I mean, just like straight up nerdy stuff. It used to be on my website. It's not there right now, but I'm going to put it back up in a new format now that I'm republishing them all. Um, so there was a lot of like actual superhero science, quote unquote, I guess, that went into it. But also I wanted it to be, for the world building, I wanted it to be clear that the different pockets of these awakened superpowered people were isolated from each other for the most part. And I'm only really focusing on the United States, but it is clear that they are all over the world. But I wanted it to be clear that, you know, there's a society in Cleveland, there's one in San Diego, there's one in Washington, D.C. And of course, the D.C. one is, you know, people will be involved in the CIA and in the defense contractors and stuff like that. There is, there's an underground version of the FBI that handles international crimes that have to do with these people. There's a prison system it is under the surface that has to do with that. And all of those things I had to find people who knew what they were talking about because <laughs> I don't know anything about any of those things. So I lived in Washington when I started writing it. So luckily I had access to people who could help me with that. So it was a lot of, you know, it was a lot of research on the way things are and then tweaking that to, well, how could we do that if there were superpowers? Did you plot all of this out and build the world as you were preparing for the series? Or do you just keep kind of adding essentially to the series Bible as you go? So the first five I had plotted before the first one was even published. So those ones I would say kind of all went at the same time. But then after that, I've just kind of been pulling stuff and just adding to the series Bible as I go. Yeah. And hoping that it makes me look like I did it from the beginning, which I just told you that I didn't. But (laughs) (laughs) yeah. As long as it looks like you did, that's what's important. You know, 
and and this is the thing with comic books too is it pisses me off when the writers don't respect what came before them and i'm like if i can't even respect my own canon you know i can't complain about marvel anymore so i try to be really careful about it that's good because I'm, I'm not a big comic fan but like tv or movies big bang theory had this thing in season 10 where like it was obvious they forgot some of the stuff from like season three and it's like, but wait <laughs> like it's your own show like come on man Exactly. Yeah. We, we all see it in reruns all the time. So get it right. Exactly. It's in syndication now, man. We're on this. Like, come on. Now, you're working on a ninth book in Superpowered yes. Love. What kind of hints can you drop on that? So book four, which was part of that initial sort of burst of energy that I had um, pre-2010 um, when I wrote the first five. Book four was about an FBI agent. And he's actually, he's kind of a huge dick. And so that's the book that people, if they're going to get turned off, they'll get turned off in book four. But it's called Losing Better. And I really like him because he's, I don't, I don't know. Are you familiar with Dungeons and Dragons? Oh, yeah. So, okay. He's basically lawful good. Okay. Which is the most annoying alignment. <laughs> <laughs> but lawful good doesn't mean lawful nice. So he's like a paladin who's kind of a dick. But he always is working for sort of what he sees as the good of everyone. And that is that is genuinely how he feels. And that's and he's really obnoxious about it. So <laughs> uh, in that book, there was a character who was sort of a side character. And there was some there was some threesome action, actually, in that book. And uh, he was kind of the third character. And his name is Kieran. Well, Kieran got like a weird little kind of following. And I decided okay, yeah, he does deserve his own book when it was mentioned to me by my editor. So that's what this one is going to be. So it's about him finding the person that he wants to be with. Yeah, at long last. (laughs) Do you envision more for Superpowered Love past eight or past nine, rather? Yeah, two more, just two more. There's going to be 10 and 11, and then it's done. Any hints on those you want to give? 10 is going to be another FF one, which the Playhouse was Girl on Girl. Um, which I know it's like not done that often to put different pairings in the same series, but I can't like help myself. So I did. And so there's going to be more of that with book 10 and then book 11 will bring back some other familiar characters. And I mean, the, the books will always be able, you can always read them in any order, no matter who I bring back or who reappears. But yeah. I will bring back more in book 11. I'm done after that. I'm done with Superpowered Love. It got delayed by like the republishing thing and everything. So I was like, you know what? 11's a great number. It's a great number. Your books tend to feature like shifters and superheroes and fey, supernatural, paranormal. We've talked a little bit about your love of the comic books. What else kind of draws you into writing in these genres? I think that's just what I like to read. And I think the best... You know, there's a lot of writing advice and most of it is really terrible. But I think really the best writing advice is to write what you really want to read that isn't out there already. Mm-hmm. And I really wanted to read paranormal books about bisexual people. Like that was just really what I wanted. And then that kind of branched out into, oh, and also gay people, lesbians, trans people, ace people, you know, like these were all stories that I that I wasn't finding. But I always wanted it to have some sort of magical aspect now, I will say my one big weakness when it comes to contemporary, however, is rock stars. Mm-hmm. 
I will read anything about rock stars. It does not need magic. So that's a weakness. And also historicals. I really like historicals. But those are all like the things that I like to read about, you mm-hmm. know, or to watch shows about. I also like to watch true crime. And I guess that's why the Canaan and Tilney books ended up being mysteries. But yeah, it's mostly just what I want to consume. It's like when I'm looking for something that I didn't quite find within the genre, I'll decide, well, I'll just, I'll just write it myself. One of the things I found on your website that I liked a lot is that you break down the representation on one of your pages. Yeah. I noticed when I was talking to people and just people around town, I live in Dayton, Ohio, and I would just be talking to people about what I do. And they would say, oh, I didn't know that there were specifically romance novels with asexual people. And I'm like, oh, yes, yes, let me help you. And I realized just talking to people who weren't already reading a lot of romance or consuming specifically queer romance or MM romance or lesbian romance or whatever, I noticed that that was like really important to them was to find themselves in these books, you know, or trans romance in particular was another one that people were like, oh, wow, that's a thing that like I can read about, you know? Mm -hmm. And I thought, I want to make that a lot easier for people to access. Um, So that's why I did that on my website. Yeah. And we'll, we'll link to that in the show notes so people can find it too and and check all those out. Tell us a little bit about your other series, too, so that people can go find some of these other things that you've been working on and getting them re-released. Oh, yeah. So the Canaan and Tilney books uh, should be out by the time this is out. And they are mysteries. One one of the characters is a wolf shifter. It's I think it's the only shifter thing I've ever written. Um, and the other guy is a pyrokinetic, which I have a lot of in my superpowered love books. I'm obsessed with, like, fire powers. I don't know why. It's just a thing with me. But he's also a romance novel writer. And he likes to write sort of mysteries and or romances. So he, he's a little bit of a romantic. Um, and he's a demisexual character. And the other guy is a bi character. And we write them just solving usually murder mysteries so far is what they've done. So there's going to be five of those. We're working on the third right now. And the uh, first two we just finally re-released. So those are really, really fun. And I do another series that only has one book in it so far. It's called Alchemia, and that's going to be about women. It's historical fantasy. So it is fantasy, and it takes place in a world that is not our own. But it has elements of a Regency romance in it. Mm. Yeah. I wish I had pigeonholed myself a little better with that one, but I didn't. And um, it is going to be a series. There are going to be three of them, and they are all going to be about various women in this society where alchemy is the main form of magic but it has the same sort of societal values and mores as say regency england so yeah so that's alchemy which is really really fun i'm fascinated by that because i'm kind of into i'm into regency romances i'm having like a a (laughs) resurgence of being back into them again so that element to regency i'm like hmm (laughs) yeah for me it's like i mean KJ Charles and and not even just the queer ones like that was kind of the first romance novels that I read were Jane Austen so and then I started reading things like Georgette Hare and just sort of modern Regency romances and just getting more and more into it and I just thought man I just really like this era but I'd like to do something again with me always I'd like to do something magical with this like (laughs) with me it's either like it needs magic or it needs to be in space like one or the other I guess you could do both. Yeah, absolutely. Magic in space. Oh, yeah. 
yeah, that's surely coming soon. I don't know what it'll be, but it'll happen. Now, you are getting ready to do your first contemporary. And you mentioned mm -hmm. a moment ago that you're jamming contemporary as rock stars. Does it, that mean you're it, doing a rock star contemporary? I am. Yes, I am. Although they are not rock stars in it, but one might assume that someday they will be. It's more like a small town band contemporary, and it's going to take place in my hometown. I am originally from West Virginia, which is not a place where you often set queer romance novels. No, um, it is not. Because reasons. Yeah. It's something that's very sort of near and dear to me for a lot of reasons. And it deals with a lot of stuff that I dealt with growing up, which is sort of, there's a lot of economic depression in Appalachia right now because coal mining is not really a thing anymore. Um, all the steel mills are kind of, they've all moved overseas and or are just not useful anymore. So as I grew up, my hometown was shrinking in on itself. And a lot of people who had come out of high school and got these wonderful jobs were losing them. So I kind of watched that happen as I was growing up. And now, of course, we have the opioid ep epidemic, mm -hmm. um, which has hit Appalachia super, super hard. It's awful. But there's still a lot of really good stuff there. And so I kind of wanted to write something that brought all that stuff together that's really important to me. And I wanted it to not just talk about those issues, but also to point out that there is hope when it comes to those things. And also, I thought, there's not a whole lot I can do about the opioid epidemic, but what I can do is write a book and, like, donate the proceeds. It's kind of like an all-in-one for me, just in terms of, I don't know, just giving back to where I grew up. So that is actually with my editor right now. And I, I rewrote it like four times before I sent it to her. So, because I, I mean, it's 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 like a weird. I have a really hard time also writing things that are super angsty that have a lot of real life drama in them. I'm kind of usually a little bit fluffier, not mm -hmm. always, but usually um, this is not fluffy. So it was it was definitely a departure for me, not just because it's a contemporary, but also because it's a contemporary. But there is a lot of music, so I feel like that was kind of my in there where I could they could always retreat into the music. Like I was reading um, Johnny Marr from the Smiths. Like I was reading his autobiography at the time and like Oasis had just released a new movie. And like, so I was just kind of consuming a lot of rock and roll stuff. And I was like, you know what? Now's the time we're going to do this. <laughs> nice. Any idea when that'll be out? Or are we looking by the end of this year or first of next? Yeah. Or? So I'm thinking by the end of this year, right now it's supposed to be December almost everything is in place for it. So assuming that it doesn't need mega rewrites when it comes back from the editor, it should be in December. Another thing to look forward to. Yes. Now, <laughs> you've done a, a fair bit of co-writing. Jenna Rose, mm. Carlin Grant, mm -hmm. J.A. Rock. How'd you get into the co-writing and, and what was that experience like for you? I love co-writing because it's always like a surprise. And I've done it differently with everyone that I've done it with. With J.A. Rock, we would like, decide who was going to write a scene but I was always like kind of either trying to make her laugh or trying to make her cry or something we would just try and like just kind of entertain each other I think and then you know with Carlin we had a very specific story that we wanted to tell which is it's the most superhero thing I've ever written it's even more superhero than superpowered love because they are genuinely like legit superheroes and that's stronger, better, faster, more. They specifically wanted to write like a trans superhero character. And I was like, yes, like now, like let's do this right now. 
And so that was like a specific story that we were looking to tell. And so that was really, really fun. And then with me and Jenna doing Kanan and Tilney, it was like we had both invented one of the characters each. Jenna invented the wolf shifter and I invented the pyrokinetic and we threw them together to see what would happen. Uh, And then they worked together, which was an accident. So we were like, hey, we should write books. It all came about in just totally different ways. But they each produce their own equally weird and interesting children. I will say that. (laughs) (laughs) You know, you got to like the person that you're creating them with. You have to nurture them. It is one of my favorite things to do, though. I really, really like co-writing because I feel like it's always such a surprise. I just like seeing what the other person has written, whether it's two seconds later or like two hours later, two days later, it's like getting a present. (laughs) So it's really, really fun. You do get that little, that new thing to read that you get to like play with on top of reading it. Exactly. Yeah. And I love building on that. I love prompts. When I first started writing, um, I also, I used to write a lot of horror, which I don't do as much anymore, but um, I would always purposely go and look for who was looking for short stories on a certain topic because I love prompts and just to see what direction my brain is going to go from that and I feel like co-authoring is just non-stop like that and I really like that about it let's go back in time a little bit and get the, mm-hmm. the Katie Hawthorne origin story <laughs> what got you into writing well gamma rays no <laughs> I don't think they actually do anything I think I always really like to just invent stories I always really love to read my parents would Um, have company and I would be sitting under the table reading a book you know it was always just kind of my retreat and I was always very introverted and preferred books to people which I think most authors would say right like Mm -hmm. that's kind of our thing I think it was just a natural progression for me to go from reading stories to both reading and making my own stories because obviously you never stop reading if you do you're terrible you're a terrible writer I'll just come out (laughs) it I do not trust writers who say they they don't read. That's ridiculous. But I think it's just a natural progression for some people. And for some people, it's not, which is totally cool because that's not your form of creativity. But for me, it just felt like that was the next thing. And as a kid, probably from the age of 10 on, like my comforters on my bed were always covered in ink just from my pens breaking open. And like my mom would be like, come out and watch TV with us. And I was like, I don't want to watch TV. I'm writing a book. It was always the joke in my family that I was like writing my memoirs (laughs) when I was like 13, you know, like, so it was like a very, and you know, I'd call my best friend and read her what I'd written that night. And she would tell me, you know, the poem that she had written that night and stuff like that. So. Well, even even a sort of a writer's group from very early. That's, That's cool actually interesting the first superpowered love book which was my first romance novel published one of the characters is actually based on my best friend because I really wanted to write her a character because she really likes romance novels and I really wanted to write her a character who was adopted but that it wasn't like this whole big drama about who his bio family was he was just a well-adjusted adopted kid it wasn't like a big drama and because she really wanted that and I thought I'm gonna write this book for her So I think it's always been about having that support of other creative people, in particular my best friend. But then as I grew older, I, you know, you gather more of those people and those people, just when you're in a room with creative people, life is better, you know? So, so true. (laughs) What were some of your early book influences and author influences? Um, So I always really loved fairy tales, which 
in retrospect, I realized probably messed me up a little bit because they're really messed up. And I was really into Edgar Allan Poe, which is, again, strange, I think, now. So, like, stuff like that that I would get a hold of that was, like, a little bit slightly dark, but also speculative fiction. Mm -hmm. And I am a huge Star Trek fan. I'm a crazy Trekkie. And so, you know, stuff that was, like, sci-fi or, like, you know, my brother was really into Dune, so I read all those books. He read all the Piers Anthony books, too, when we were kids. And I was like, oh, these are really misogynistic, but cool concepts. Do you remember these book clubs that you could get, like, 10 books for, like, 50 cents? Oh, and yeah. And they just won every week, right? So my dad was in the fantasy book club, so he would get these fantasy hardbacks, like, every month. And I read so many of them. And he gave me, like, The Mists of Avalon when I was probably 12. I think I was way too young for it. <laughs> But, and that got me really into like Arthurian legend and stuff because my dad was super into that. So, I mean, this this was like all these weird fantasy influences, you know, and, like reading The Hobbit as a kid. And like, you remember the, the cartoons of like The Hobbit and The Lord of the Rings? Watching those as a kid was yeah. like really formative. And, you know, all the Jim Henson movies like uh, The Dark Crystal and Labyrinth and stuff like that. I feel like those were things that I really liked in books as well. But then I also liked a lot of literature stuff too. Like I really always liked, Oddly, I always like Dickens, which is strange. It's probably why I'm like too descriptive a lot of times. And Jane Austen and a lot of literary authors. I really like like F. Scott Fitzgerald and stuff. Just anyone who had anything interesting to say about their own time. Little Women was a book that I read over and over again as a kid. Because I think a lot of the literary heroes when I was a kid were boys. Mm-hmm. And so it was really cool for me to read Little Women or even uh, the Chronicles of Narnia before I realized they were really Jesus-y. Um, I thought that was so cool that like Susan and Lucy were like just as awesome as their brothers, you know. We didn't have nearly as much of that when I was a kid as we do now, for sure. I think all of those things, you know, like sort of the classic kids' books, like literary children's book stuff, but mm -hmm. also a lot of fantasy that was maybe a little too old for me at the time. But um, when I reread it, I finally fully understood it. You were just having that aspirational read kind of thing of reading you know, a little bit <laughs> yeah. above and beyond where you were. Yeah. It's like I tried to read Game of Thrones. I still remember when I was like 16 and I put it down because I couldn't believe it. They had pushed Bran out of the tower. Like, <laughs> The Jamie Lannister, like, and I was like, oh, spoiler I can't read alert, this people. Sorry, I'm <laughs> just sorry. in case. If you have not watched season one of Game of Thrones, um, if that person still exists now, which they probably don't, but yeah, so like, and I was like, I can't, I can't read this book, you know. And then I went back to it in college, and I was like, oh, actually, Jamie's my favorite character, you know. Like, it was definitely aspirational reading. Now, in February, looking out into the future. Mm -hmm. You're making your first trip to the Coastal Magic Convention. Yes. What got you enthused to go there, and what are you looking forward to? Beverly Jenkins. Okay, but also, because, okay, last time I was at a con with her, she ran out of books before me, and I didn't get her autograph because I was, like, at a table way across the room, and I couldn't run over there in time, and I was really sad that I didn't get her autograph. But apart from her... I knew people that had gone to it for a few years, like um, Jay from Joyfully Jay had gone, mm -hmm. and um, I think Jay Rock was there one year, and just like, just different people that I knew, and they had just said that it was so chill, and like, it was great, and honestly, I haven't been to a beach in forever. Yeah, I just thought, man, this is such a great idea, I wonder if they'd let me come, 
and just there's so many authors that I like there too. So I'm always kind of torn between fangirling and like trying to be a professional. It could be so hard sometimes. (laughs) It's it's so hard for me, but I'm going to try again. I'm going to try again. Yeah. So, and I think it's that combination is that there's both a lot of authors that I love to read there. And I think it just looks like a fun event to go to as an author because it's, it seems very chill and I don't know, it's on the beach. Like how can it not be chill? And you're going to get to leave Ohio in the dead of winter. Seriously? Let me tell you, I am not excited about winter coming. I like fall fine, but as soon as it's over, Ohio is, oh, it's miserable. Well, we definitely look forward to seeing you at Coastal because it is a good time for sure. We've talked a little bit about this as we've gone on. What do readers have to look forward to between now and, and Coastal to pick up from you? Right. So finally, a lot of my new stuff can happen because all the old stuff is finally out there. Let me see. Between now and February, definitely a new Witchy Boys. And Witchy Boys is a thing that I do in October. It's usually just like two short stories that I release together. There has been a couple, one couple. Their name is Thackeray and Matt, and they've been consistent through all three books. Otherwise, it's just like cute little stories about boys who are witches and do sexy things so that will happen and then hopefully um that book that i talked about and was set in west virginia um Mm -hmm. the contemporary yeah the contemporary um and it's called the rise of virginie which is just the name of their band is virginie hopefully that will be ready by december and then i am really really hoping book nine in super powered love which is currently called under siege will happen uh, actually in February. And if I can time it right, it will happen right before the event so that I can have it when I'm there. So that's what I'm really hoping for. Perfect. And if somebody's coming to Coastal and has not read you before, what book of yours would you recommend as kind of the gateway to Katie Hawthorne? Gosh. Um, I mean, Superpowered Love is like the biggest series. Um, and you can start anywhere in there if any of them look good to you. That's totally fine. I think book one is a good starting point. I've also heard that book two, Riot Boy, is a good starting point because the point of view character does not have superpowers and does not know about them. So you learn about them with him. So that's Riot Boy. But, you know, if you like girls more than boys, Alchemia is pretty cute. It's the weird historical fantasy Regency one. Yeah, or if you like short stories, I mean, Witchy Boys is really easy to pick up and just read like a couple of short stories and be like, oh, hey, here she is. But also, I have a lot of free reads on my website. There's like one that's about fairies because I really like people with wings. I think that's really cool for some reason. Again, probably X-Men influence there. So there's a lot of stuff on there. There's fairies. There's some that go with the Superpowered Love series. There's some uh, FF action. There's just all kinds of different stuff on my free reads page. So if you're not sure you want to invest, that's a good go-to first. And speaking of the website, besides that, how else can people keep up with you online? So I'm kind of a Tumblr addict, which is weird because nobody uses Tumblr anymore, I don't think, except me. But I love it because all my fandoms are there. So I can like geek out over like Mass Effect and Star Trek and Tolkien and all that. But also um, I am on Facebook. I'm there really regularly. And I recently started a Facebook group where I do like little videos every week where I either read from a book or talk about like some queer pop culture thing or whatever. Um, But also we talk about music and books and like what we're reading and stuff like that. Um, Let me see. I'm sort of on Twitter on and off there. And I do have an Instagram. Mostly it's pictures of my dogs and my cats. Cool. 
Well, we will link up to all of that, plus everything we've talked about uh, <laughs> in the interview to the show notes page so people can easily find all of it. Uh, Katie, thank you so much for hanging out and talking to us. Looking very forward to seeing you uh, at the beach in February. Yes, I can't wait. I'm so excited to see you there. This week's interview transcript is brought to you by our community on Patreon. If you'd like to read the author interview for yourself, simply head on over to the show notes page for this episode at BigGayFictionPodcast.com. And thanks again to Katie. I think I find a new series for my TBR, too, because the superpowered love books sound oh so good. Now, Coastal Magic is a beach reader weekend that celebrates the magic of stories and storytellers. It's a super casual convention and book signing in Daytona Beach, Florida. And their goal is to bring authors and readers together for a memorable weekend by the beach with panels designed to start interesting discussions and meet and greets with fun themes. There's something for just about every reader. And while there is a schedule, there's also plenty of time for authors and their fans to just hang out together. Saturday's book sale and signing is open to convention attendees, but is also free to the public. And the featured author lineup showcases not only best-selling favorites, but debut and new to you authors that are sure to catch your attention. We hope you join us for all the fun February 20th through 23rd, 2020, and you can get all of the information at CoastalMagicConvention.com. Yes, definitely looking forward to heading to Florida in February. Absolutely. Bring it on. Bring it on now. <laughs> okay, guys, I think that's going to do it for this week's show. Just a quick reminder that you can help support the Big Gay Fiction Podcast with a monthly pledge through Patreon. The additional support of our superfans helps pay for the cost of producing and distributing this show. Joining is easy, and you'll get special monthly bonus episodes, early access to author interviews, and the Patreon-only exclusive show, Big Gay Fiction After Dark. For a complete list of all of the perks that come with being a Patreon community member, just head on over to patreon.com slash biggayfictionpodcast. Now, coming up in episode 209, Avon Gale and Piper Vaughn are going to be here, and they're going to talk about the book that Jeff just reviewed, Goalie Interference. And I promise the whole thing is not about hockey. We do talk <laughs> about books, how they got their co-writing thing going and everything. So I promise it won't be just a total hockey palooza. Sounds good. So guys, remember, no matter where life takes you, the journey will always be sweeter when you have a book. Until next time, everyone, please keep turning those pages and keep reading. For detailed show notes and links to everything discussed in this episode, go to BigGayFictionPodcast.com. New episodes are available every Monday at all major podcast distributors. You can also find us on YouTube. I'm Derek McLean. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next week.